If you have your Bibles, you can open them up to 1 Peter. We're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. If you don't, you can just sit back, listen, take it in. It's God's word. It does the work, whether you're hearing it or reading it. 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to read verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we... We need you every day, at every moment we need you, and sometimes we're really conscious of this, and we need you now to teach us, to help us to do more than merely understand what these words mean, but we pray that you would open our hearts to respond to your word positively. Lord, that uh, that we would learn, that we would be changed even, that we would receive your word with gladness in such a way that we are enabled to share it with others who need it as well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Everybody, everybody without exception wants to change. That's a universal. Now there are some people who don't admit that they need to change, uh, but they want to. There isn't a person alive who doesn't recognize that they are not yet what they could be. There's always more. There's always more development, more to learn, more to become. Everybody wants to change. And this longing to be what we are not, this desire to become what we're supposed to be, what we were made to be, that longing is built into everyone. Whether they understand this to be religious or theologically significant is beside the point. Everybody knows I am not what I could be, or better, I am not what I should be, or even better, I am not yet what God made me to be. Everybody has that built-in longing. Now, we try to deal with that superficially, and that superficially doesn't mean bad, it just means it's not deep, it's not profound change. Because we can change our behavior, we can improve our lives, but we cannot change ourselves. We can change our habits, we can change the way we look, right? Sometimes we recognize like, well, uh, I, I am weak and I want to become strong, or I am ignorant and I want to be informed, right? I, I want to grow. And so we deal with this in some ways that are generally superficial or temporal, right? And those are not bad necessarily. Oftentimes they are good things. But Christians know, Christians know, we believe this, right? That God is at work in his people to change us. We believe that. We believe in the power of change, that God changes people's lives. But here's the rub. I know all too many Christians who wind up in a particular spot after they have experienced the changing power of God. They get to a particular point and they decide, this is as far as God is going to take me. 
This is as far as I'm ever going to get. I'm not going to grow beyond this. I'm not going to become better than this. I'm not going to be more mature, more sanctified. I'm not going to overcome any more sins. I'm not going to move past this point. This is as far as God can take me. Some people get there quickly when they're young, but many of us get there after following Jesus for a few decades, and we recognize this is probably as far as I'm going to go. We sort of give up. Like God isn't willing to change us anymore. This is what I want us to consider today. Yes, it's Easter. We're going to talk about the resurrection. But this is the principle in this verse that I want us to hold on to. So it's a little bit different than previous Easter's. The principle is simple. I want you to know this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changes us. See, we tend to go to, well, the, 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 the resurrection of Jesus Christ, excuse me, the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes us. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we say, changes everything. Right? We understand what, what, what I mean by resurrection, right? The resurrection of Jesus. We've read the accounts in the Gospels. And even if you don't go to church and you're unfamiliar, you know in general what's going on, right? Jesus of Nazareth began his ministry around 30 plus years old. He began preaching and teaching as one with authority, divine authority. He cast out demons, performed miracles. He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He showed compassion to the undeserving. He forgave sins. Jesus did all of this as the son of God sent to save the world. Ultimately, he was crucified, betrayed by his own and by Roman government. He was railroaded through court, condemned as a criminal, though he was innocent, and was murdered on the cross. They took him down and laid him into a tomb. He was dead for three days. Three days later, he rises from the dead. A real, true resurrection, not raised in spirit. It's not the spirit of Jesus. It is Christ rose. He walked out with a beating heart. He walked out of that tomb and he appeared. He appeared to many. In fact, we have this famous account in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15 where Paul says it this way. He says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, right? The gospel. It's in which you stand and by which you are being saved, right? So here's what he says. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles. Unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. Paul understands this is what the gospel is, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So the resurrection of Christ, we understand what it is. We've heard about it. We've read about it. We've heard people preach and teach about it. What does it mean that Christ rose from the dead? Why is it so significant? And that's usually where we spend a lot of our time, appropriately so. Christ's resurrection from the dead, scripture teaches us that it demonstrates his victory over death. Death, which is the curse of sin. God's curse against our sin. We brought death into this world ourselves by sinning against God and one another. We brought this curse on. Jesus fulfills all righteousness, keeps God's law. He is perfectly holy in every way that we are completely unholy. And he measures up 
And then he takes on our guilt and our sin in his death. But then he rises from the dead. He rises from the dead, demonstrating victory over this curse. He reverses, that's what they say. He reversed the curse so that now, even if we taste death, we do not perish. We are reconciled to God. This is what the, the resurrection means, victory over death. Jesus brings life to the world and he promises us. He promises us by virtue of his resurrection, he promises all of us a resurrection of our own, meaning that in the future we have a hope that it is not a disembodied existence for all eternity, but that body and soul will one day be brought together in a resurrection of our own and we will dwell with one another and with God in paradise forever. That means all of that. But what I want us to consider, what I want you to consider, because it's what I'm considering, because I need this. I, this, is, this is for me. The resurrection does all of that, but the resurrection changes you. The resurrection changes me. And I'm just going to give you this. Listen, it's Easter. Ham's cooking. People have obligations. You've got to go places. I understand. Uh, so we're going to keep this real simple today. Resurrection changes us in two ways. More than that, but we're just going to see two here. Number one, the resurrection creates worshipers. Number two, the resurrection gives us life or makes us alive. So first in verse three, first half of verse three, the resurrection creates worshipers. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God. Praise to God. Worshipers glorify God. And that's what's happening even here. And we see this throughout scripture where the people of God are worshiping God by praising him, right? To praise, to adore him is to worship him. In fact, that word worship is actually from an old English word, worth-ship, worth-ship, worth-ship. It means to ascribe worth to God, to proclaim his excellencies, to know and to make known his wonderful character and his work. That's what worship is. To make known and to ascribe and to rejoice in all that God is and does. The resurrection makes worshipers who do this. You see, because it's more than just singing. Singing is a part of it. Gathering is a part of it. Worshipers will do certain things, especially when we're called to do that, right? We read the word, we sing the word, we pray the word, all of it. But you can do those things and not worship, right? You can do those things and not be a worshiper. See, the resurrection makes actual worshipers because worshipers do not just go through the motions Worshippers exalt God by exalting in God. You know, there's a difference between exalting and exalting. To exalt is to lift up, right? To praise, to make known. We exalt God means we lift him high up in our lives, with our voices, in our worship. To exalt God means that we do what we do for him. It means that he comes first. So corporate worship, when we get together, we are in the business of exalting God. So what we do, we do for his pleasure, not yours, not mine. Believe me, this would sound a whole lot more like death metal if we were arranging worship music to sound like my interests, my style, right? We, what we do here is we want it to be pleasing and we want it to be uh, culturally appropriate. We want it to be ruthlessly biblical, but the, what we do here fundamentally is done for God. It's not for you first, it's for God. Worshippers exalt God by exalting in God. To exalt is to joyfully jump up and down. That's what it means, to exalt. Joyfully jumping up and down. It's loud, exuberant, embarrassing praise, right? It's the kind of thing like, like worshipers like will make God's name known and they're not worried about the consequences. 
The resurrection creates these worshipers, worship people who exalt God by exalting in God. That doesn't just happen in the context of a service, though it does happen here. It happens in all of life. You see, that's the thing. See, God creates a worshiper. God doesn't create us to be people who go to worship. God creates us to be worshipers, and worshipers, you know what they do? They worship. That's what they do. They worship. They worship at church, at home, in the car. They worship. It doesn't mean that we worship all the time in every place to equal value, to equal, with equal energy, but it means we understand that all of life is supposed to be an act of worship because this is who we now are. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Praise God, he has made me what I am through the resurrection of Jesus and what I am now, what you are now as a believer is a worshiper and worship now frames all of life. Like it says in Romans 12, one, I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Your most holistic understanding of worship should be that you are offering yourself to God at all times, consciously, willingly, joyfully. You exist for him. Therefore, in this sense, all of life is supposed to be worship. The resurrection creates us to be worshipers, right? And it creates us to be worshipers by causing us to be born again, by giving us life. And one of the things that this means as worshipers is that worshipers understand and embrace Jesus as Lord. Jesus is, is not the, uh, the, the name that we put on our clothes, right? He's not the sticker that we put on our journals. He, he's, he's more than a decal on our windows. It's not, Jesus doesn't represent our alignment, our politics. Jesus, for us as worshipers, is Lord, do you know what that means? It means he's everything to us. It, it, yes, it means that he comes first. Yes, it means that he reigns. But it means that we are the people who recognize his lordship and willingly submit to that in all things. Romans 10, 9, right? If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, right? Lord, resurrection, you will be saved. So worship frames all of our life because we see Jesus as Lord in everything. Christ for us is everything. That's the change. That's part of the change. The resurrection of Jesus makes us worshipers. It creates worshipers. And it does this by giving us life. Or to put it in the words of Peter, by causing us to be born again. Look again at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father, there's, there's the praise, the worship. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. So cause us to be born again. Born again, new birth, life. Some people like that phrase, new birth. They like it, it's valuable, it's important. Some people don't like it because they associate it with particular churches or movements that were weird, Okay. And uh, so they don't like the word. The word's biblical, so you're supposed to like the word. Get over it. You're supposed to like it, okay? Don't let your experience tell you what words you can and can't use. Like, listen, just let the Bible, just take it all in. So the word is good. Whatever it means, and we're going to talk about what it means, but whatever, whatever it means to be born again, whatever the new birth is, whatever it is, we are sure that it is a gift. 
It is a grace. It is a mercy, right? According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. This means that the life, this new birth, this new life that God gives us is a kindness that we do not deserve. It is something we desperately need, but it is something that we do not deserve. So this new birth, this grace, this kindness that gives life, what is this? Well, we know it's a work of God. It is a work of God because he has caused us to be born again. This is God's work. It is not your work. It is not my work. This is not something we do. And this is clear by the words that are used and the way it's talked about in scripture. Go to John 3. John 3 is one of the most famous passages on the new birth because Jesus is hanging out. It's late at night. And this guy, Nicodemus, who's a really religious guy, he loves the law. He studies his Bible. He's all into it. He finds Jesus at night and he wants to talk shop with Jesus. He wants to talk about theology and teaching and ministry, whatever, right? So he's, he's kind of blowing smoke, whatever he's doing. He's, he, he doesn't know who Jesus really is. And so he shows up and he starts talking to Jesus and Jesus cuts through all of it, the religiosity and says, hey, hey, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, this is interesting because most of the time, what does Jesus say to people? He tells them to do something, repent, believe, follow me. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. He says that too. He says a lot of things, okay? He says a lot of things that indicate your response to me is supposed to be one of submission and belief. You're supposed to follow me. But here he says something different. He doesn't say this is what you need to do. He says this is what you need to experience. You must be born again. You must be born from above. He says it explicitly again in John 3, 3. He says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Because Nicodemus isn't getting it. He doesn't understand. It's something that God does. You can't see it until God gives you eyes to see it. You can't believe it until God changes your heart. That's what he's saying. And there's a reason I think that Jesus doesn't go into detail here. It's like you, you would think he would take him by the hand and be like, all right, Nick, Nick a dummy, let me show you. And we're just gonna walk. I'm gonna show you verse by verse. You go to the Old Testament. He doesn't do that. And the reason I think he doesn't do that is because Nicodemus has everything he needs already in his head. He's a student of the law. He's been reading the Bible. He knows the scriptures. So Jesus just lets him have it and says, now go stew, because we learn on later that Nicodemus is born again and does follow Jesus. But what is already rattling around in Nicodemus' head are the promises of this reality, this new birth, this doctrine of regeneration, theologians call it. Doctrine of regeneration. It's in Ezekiel 36. It's in a few places, but Ezekiel 36. Listen to this promise of this new covenant blessing of new birth or new life. Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. He says, I'm gonna change you. I'm not gonna lay more laws on you. I'm not gonna lay a burden on you. Yes, there are things you're supposed to do. I will command you, you, but I'm gonna change your heart. That's really what the new birth is, being born again or the doctrine of regeneration. It's an impartation of spiritual life. It's a, it's a change of heart. It's a renewal of the heart, right? It's a, it's a rebirth of the spirit. It's a new spirit that gives us a new perspective. It gives us new affections, 
right? It doesn't just change what we know, it changes how we actually feel and function so that we begin to hate the things that you're supposed to hate. We begin to love the things that we're supposed to love. That's what the new birth does. It actually fundamentally changes who you are. Unfortunately, your personality usually stays pretty intact after you're born again. But, uh, but you are changed. You are actually changed. I can remember as a young Christian, as a new Christian, I lost all my friends because, let's see, it just, I, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't going to work, really. And um, the, the friends that I had. And, and I remember I was sitting with the guy that I loved. I loved with all my heart. He's such a dear friend. I have great affection in my heart for him still. We were so close. And, uh, and he finally just came over to just kind of talk it out. I'm like, what's going on? What's, you know? And after a while, he's looking at me. And he says, he goes, you look the same. But you're not the same. You're totally different. Obviously, I was still a sinner and a jerk and I had a foul mouth and whatever. But he understood that something fundamentally different was going on in my heart. He didn't understand the doctrine of regeneration, but he could, he could see change. This is the new birth. We actually have a, you know, we have a statement of faith here at Redeemer Fellowship that we use. We didn't come up with it. It's never a good idea. Go with something historic. Anyways, so we have a statement of faith. And in our statement of faith, we have, a, we have an article on uh, regeneration. And it's helpful here. So let me, just, uh, let me just read this. Regeneration is a change of heart that is wrought by the Holy Spirit who gives life to those who are dead in trespasses and sins, enlightening their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the word of God and renewing their whole nature so that they love and practice holiness. It is a work of God's free and special grace alone. Good words written in 1858, not too long ago, but old enough to still be cool. It's biblically accurate. It's a biblically accurate summary of what the new birth really is. God's work of grace in us that changes us and makes us new, taking us from a place of spiritual death, Ephesians 2. But God being rich in mercy, when we were dead in our trespasses, gave us life, made us alive together with Christ, caused us to be born again. This is the first fundamental change that we experience, and it is not the last but it is the first fundamental change that we experience by God's grace through the power of the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus gives us life, the life that we need. If you're a believer, you are a new creation in Christ, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, right? You're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You are a different person now. There is a new you, and there is a renewing you, a, new, a you that's being renewed. The word is sanctified. You're being progressively changed. Yes, you have been redeemed, but you are being remade. You, you are being restored. You are changing. Because like it says in, in Romans 8, 8, 11, that the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He brought the body of Christ to life. He brings you to spiritual life and then he continues to change you. And all of this, all of this gives us 
a living hope, right? The, the power of the Holy Spirit that has caused us to be born again through the resurrection of Jesus, all of this gives us hope. Who needs hope? I need hope. You know who needs hope? The hurting and the doubting and the fearful. We need hope. That's everybody. The hurting, the doubting, and the fearful. And that's every, we all need hope. We all are in that place, right? Whether we admit it or not, we are, and we look for hope. We scramble for hope. We try to find hope in the world. And we find some kind of hope, temporal hope, doesn't last, it doesn't fix all the problems. Sometimes it's, it's good things that we're finding that we begin to put our hope in, but here's the thing. When you've been born again, when you've experienced the change of the power of God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, when you have experienced that, your hope shifts from the world to the kingdom of God so that you no longer put your hope, your real hope, your ultimate hope, your living hope, you don't find that in the world anymore. You don't find it in politicians, you don't find it in politics, you certainly don't find it in pastors or preachers either. You don't find it in a church. You don't find it in a brand and an author. You don't find it in programs. You find it in God, in his promise to redeem and renew all things in the end. You find it in God's promise to bring about a full work of redemption where he makes all things new, completely new, including us. We get hope, living hope, living hope, not the hope of the world. The hope of the world is, uh, well, at worst, it's a scam, and at best, it's temporal. It's not always bad. But we have a living hope. It, means, it doesn't just mean it's lively. It means it's real. It's working. It's changing. It's, it's changing us. And our, our hope, our hope is a part of our becoming of the change that we experience. Because what is hope but a joyful confidence in God's promise to fulfill his purpose? And doesn't give up. He hasn't given up on you or me. The resurrection of Jesus changes us. That's what I want us to land on here. The resurrection of Jesus changes us. It changed the world. It changed the cosmos. It will change all things. But right now, today, it changes you. Or it can. Jesus rose from the grave. <laughs> and everyone who believes have been changed and will be changed. And we're just, I think there's so many of us that believe that in principle, but functionally, we've let go of it. Because how many decades have I followed Jesus and this is as far as I've made it? In my growth, in my walk, in my knowledge, in my faith, in my godliness, in my maturity, this is as far as it gets? This is, as, is this as good as it gets? It's not gonna get any better? I'm not gonna get stronger? A lot of us want to give up. We wanna just say, I'm done. Or we just think God must be done. But God has made promises. And he's faithful. He's not like us. He can actually do what he says 
he will do. We'll make promises with good intentions. We're not lying. We're just wrong. God is truthful and all-powerful. He who created a good work in you will be faithful to carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You can change more. And the change that we fundamentally need is what? It's the image of God being restored in us. It's the restoration and the, the ripening of our own humanity. Yes, we call that faith and godliness and maturity and all of that, but it's, it's becoming the people we're designed to be. God is not done changing any of you. I started to think he, he was done changing me. So I know that you've had that thought too. But he's not. He continues to work. So listen, if you aren't a Christian and you're looking at your life and you're thinking like my life, I mean really at bottom, because your life might be going swell. You might have it all together, might look really pretty, but you know when you look down deep into who you are at bottom and the, and the person God has made you to be and you recognize that you are a sinner in need of mercy, but you think like what, what am I supposed to do from here? God is the God who saves, he changes, he renews. You think like, I don't have an interest, I don't care. Yeah, none of us did. That's what God does, he changes the heart. Look to Jesus, the one who lived and died and rose again for sinners just like you. Look to Christ and ask for mercy. And for every Christian, every believer who, <laughs> who is tired and beginning to wonder, can I, can I still change? Can I get any farther than as far as I've come? The answer is yes, because it's not found in your strength or your ability or your commitment. The power of that kind of change and transformation is found exclusively in God, more specifically in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that rose Christ from the dead and who now dwells in all who believe. It's one of the things a resurrection does. One of the things. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changes sinners. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would, uh, that you would encourage us where we are discouraged, that you would strengthen us where we're weak, that you would give us joy where we are filled with sorrow. We pray, God, that you would change us for your glory and your pleasure because we know that if you change us, to become the people we're supposed to be, we know that we will be satisfied as well. We pray, God, that we would be worshipers, true worshipers, because of the life you have imparted to us. In Christ's name, amen.